What a week we have had. What a week we will have next week. At the end of the day, I can speak for all of us when I say I believe that all our hearts are heavy, but yet because we know who we are in Jesus Christ, all our hearts are always hopeful. We're always hopeful in God and we'll always look to Jesus. We'll always fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's not look to anybody else but Jesus Christ. Let our hearts and our eyes and our minds and our bodies and our wills, everything of us, will always look to Jesus Christ. Let Him be the anchor of our faith, anchor of our future, anchor of our hope. Amen, church? Wow. Um, you, know, uh, uh, you know, this whole week I was just, you know, we were all praying. And um, I, I, I re realized one thing uh, uh, two nights ago, and my wife realized it together with me, that 13 years ago, if you would have met me, a younger, a younger man, if I can say I'm a man, or boy, depending on your definition, um, 13 years ago, if you met me, my heart was fully English, not even Scottish or Irish, English, right? Uh, uh, I just came back from England, and that's where my heart is, that's where I thought I would be for the rest of my life, and I know God called me back to this country, to my country, called me back home, and I said, God, if, if, if anything, changing my heart would be called a miracle, but this week, throughout all this turmoil, uh, all the confusion and, and all the prayers, uh, um, for the first time in my life, my heart broke for the country. My heart broke and my, I cried. And, and, and when uh, we called the solemn assembly and I was like, I, I knew what it meant without even asking what is a solemn assembly. I knew what it meant. And I couldn't understand it. I can never explain it. I don't know why I'm mourning. But at the end of the day, uh, uh, what I take away is God can change hearts and God has changed mine. And I know God can change yours, whatever you're going through in your life, because he has changed mine. Um, you know, this week, uh, uh, my sermon today is on unshakable authority. Yes, my sermon is on unshakable authority. And I don't even need to mention what is going on in all our hearts. So I'm going to just leave your hearts to speak to your hearts. But what I want to do today is I want to say God is speaking to us as a church. God is speaking to us personally. God is speaking to us as a church. God is speaking to us as a nation. And our roles that we play, and what is God really saying to us uh, 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 in these times? But before I move on into the Word of God, I want to explain or at least show a snippet because I cannot be comprehensive of what is God doing in the whole entire world. So give me five minutes and I want to show what is happening in the world in the year 2020 because this is a very interesting year for us. A lot has happened, right? Uh, 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 but I can't say it all, but I want to just point out to eight separate incidences because in the whole Bible, and especially in this season, um, I realize that God, when God talks about the movements around the world, I realize in almost every book of the Bible, He talks about shakings. In almost every book of the Bible, He talks about He's coming in uh, uh, with this and with that. And, and I realize, wow, it's from Genesis all the way to Isaiah, to Ezekiel, to Joel, to even Haggai. And then even in the New Testament, the four Gospels, if you really read closely towards the end, He talks about the shakings. He talks about the end times. He talks about, and I realize, wow, maybe the church really needs to go through uh, or at least talk about what is God talking about through the shakings? So these are the, the eight things that is happening in the world today, all right? Of course, it's, no, it's not comprehensive, uh, uh, but let's go through it one by one because God says God will shake the heavens and the earth, which means He will shake creation. And then God says He will shake all nations, right? So nation will come against nation. What does, what does God mean and what does it look like? So it's not just in biblical times. We are, I feel that we're kind of living in it 
in this present moment, all right? So the first of all, I want to talk about how God shakes creation. Let's talk about Antarctica. And I know we've been talking about this it's in the news every single day, and I know we're becoming more uh, uh, global weather conscious, but just in case you are not aware, Antarctica for the very first time in all of history have reached the highest temperature of 20 degrees Celsius. It's the highest temperature in all recorded history, and we're going to pray that it does not grow any higher, because if it does, and worst case scenario, this is worst case scenario, the whole Antarctica ice melts. The water level will rise 50 to 60 meters, right? That's meters. We are living on, 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 on zero sea level, right? So if it rises 50 to 60 meters, uh, it's time to invest in property in Gunting and Camerons, right? We need, to, we need to buy a church there uh, uh, because we need to meet there. So we're going to pray. It will never happen. That's Antarctica. All right, next. And I'm sure you already know, and praise the Lord, the fires have been put out. But earlier this year and late last year, there were fires, drought, and not just that. Out of all the fires and drought, there's flooding that goes on in Australia. And just so you know, I was telling my wife last night, this is not just something that happened in two months. This is something that happened over the course of two years because of the weather movement, so go back and study it, read it up. I can't say everything in this message, but over the course of two years, it's been building up to a point where Australia could not contain the fires. And the saddest part of all is 1.25 or 1.3 billion animals have died. Billion. It's not even million, all right? It's billion animals have died because of the fires, right? Uh, 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 I think I read one report somewhere, there is a certain species of, uh, of, of koalas that is almost going extinct because of this, so they have to save, save the species, right? Uh, um, <clears throat> so that's Australia. What's God, what is God saying to us? And, and I know Australia is so far removed, but what if it's us? What happens, right? Next, I know... Uh, uh, you may or may not be familiar, but if you read about the locusts in biblical times, rest assured, my friends, it's happening right in our doorstep today. This is not in the book of Exodus. This is today. And I just want to know, I've had to add the word desert locust. This, so this is not just any normal species of locust, all right? This is the desert locust. And just so you know, I was telling my wife again last night, this is not just a two-month thing. All right, suddenly it happened. This is a built up over two years. You have to read about it, because I don't have time to say it all. But I want you to understand the magnitude of the problem. There is about 200 billion insects of locusts that is swarming in East Africa. All right, and the latest news uh, two days ago is that the swarm has flown all the way to the west coast of Pakistan and the west coast of India. Can you imagine if it flies all? And my wife asked me last night, do you think you'll fly the way to Malaysia? And we say, don't worry, we'll pray for a west wind to blow westwards, all right? Not eastwards to Malaysia, right? But at the end of the day, they can travel 80 miles a day. And the swarm on this size eats 35,000 people's worth of food per day. And there's already food shortages and starvation going on in East Africa. And now the locust is eating what food there is left. And if they don't solve this problem by June, the 200 billion could grow 500 times. And now this WHO is calling on funds from all sorts of places just to tackle this problem because the world leaders are scratching their heads, right? And interesting, right? When we humans, we think we are at the peak of human civilization, we think we are the smartest of all the mammals that lived, we cannot solve this problem. And only, I only know one person who can. His name is Jesus, right? 
All right, Desert Locust. Next, and I, I know you're familiar with this. I know you're familiar with this. COVID-19, the coronavirus. But I don't know if you know that just two nights ago, WHO released a memo saying that this virus was called an epidemic. All right, so they have several things to go from epidemic to pandemic. But two days ago, WHO said we are on the verge of the epidemic becoming a pandemic, which means that we are at the highest risk since this started, that this virus will spread worldwide. There is still no vaccine. There's still no proper way to test it. Labs are still scrambling to test whether, the, whether we are positive or negative, and how do we stop this virus? And we are at the peak of this infection, and I just heard that the, the number has gone up because I did this slide four, four days ago, but it is now in 55 countries. How is it affecting global economy? And, 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 and I read just last night that we are now, 29th of February, we are now at the lowest point of global economy since the 2008 financial crisis. We remember the financial crisis. If you don't remember, you're a little bit too young for this message. But I'm sure all of us here remember the 2008 financial crisis. We are now at the low, we have gone lower than that point globally because of everything that has happened around the world. But worst of all, and I feel this is worst of all, this has shown the heart of men because there is a global epidemic of xenophobia. When, when, whenever the whole world now sees an Asian person, and we are included, we're Asians, okay, we're Chinese, we're included in it, and I know we're not from Wuhan, all right? But we're still Asians, and the world can't tell the difference, and now the world is shunning all Asians, they're closing the doors uh, uh, to Asians. I just read of a story that uh, um, an Asian person from England went, went overseas, came back, and the English... Uh, I'm, if you're English here, remember my heart is for you, right? So I'm not discriminating against you, but they, they threw her bags out and locked her out of the house and say, I'm sorry, you cannot come back home. And that's how it has grown so much, the Asian xenophobia, just because of this one virus. And what is God speaking to us through this virus? We are not live. you know, the Exodus biblical times is not only in Exodus. Can you imagine if, what if we are living in the Exodus times? What if we are living in the biblical plague times? But this is how God is shaking the creation. Now let's, God, let's move to nations. How is God shaking nations? All right? I have, I, this is just one slide. I know I don't even need to put details. They have been talking about this for three to four years. There's so many change of, press, of prime ministers ever since this has taken hold. But 31st of Jan, Brexit signed, but it's not over. All right, they're still in trade negotiations until the 31st of December. What does it look like for the economy? What does it look like for tariffs? What does it look like for Ireland? What does it look like for nations? Uh, because Britain doesn't even want to answer to Brussels anymore. So this is nations versus nations. This is Brexit. So this story is not over. But there is also a very popular one that I know you know. All right, I want to I assure, because I feel the atmosphere, I'm sensing the atmosphere, I want to assure you that the story will pick up. Is that okay? All right, so it would, like, like all global phenomenon, they would dip to a point and then it will pick up. So I'll rest assured you, all right? So in America right now, I know you know uh, uh, that the, the, the president was impeached and then he was acquitted. But I'm not too sure if you know that the church in America has never been more split about this, about this subject, about more split about what does the, the world's biggest Christian country looks at justice, looks at the, the rule of law, looks at giving one man so much power that they have acquitted him. What does it look like for the church in America? What if, what if you are American and you have to vote to acquit or not acquit? How would you vote? How would you vote? 
right? Okay, that's in America, and how would it affect us? And I'm sure you already know, this is nation versus nation in the Middle East, but it has gone to a peak. But because of all the pandemics in the world, all the news, we have forgotten that there are refugees living to other nations, but other nations are closing the door to the refugees. And in the winter, babies have died because they have no shelter to sleep in. And sometimes parents and the child have to sleep in the cold, in the, in the naked cold, in the weather. And babies have died because just because nations are fighting against nations. There's civil unrest. But lastly, I don't know if you know, so I had to bring this up. I don't know if you know, but this is still a global, global crisis that we can learn from. The Venezuela crisis. Now, let me explain. One year ago, just one year ago, this guy was in power, President Maduro. He's in power, right? Now, the reason I know this is because I've, I've, been, I've been following the Venezuelan gold, all right? Um, so if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. I've been following the Venezuelan gold. He's selling all their gold. He's selling their gold reserve. That's how desperate Venezuela has, has come to, right? So he was in power. And then somewhere lo- along the line, this guy, uh, uh, President Juan Guador, decided to say, hey, no, 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 I'm in power instead. So Maduro has the gold of the country. He also has the army of the country. So he controls the army. And he says, nobody's going to oust me because how are you going to oust me? I control the army. And we all know who controls money who controls army, controls the country, right? Okay, and then this guy comes along, but the whole world, internationally, 49 country has recognized Juan Guado as president, all right? So he's saying, I have the vote of the people. The last election, the people voted me. So I'm supposed to be in power. And you know, in, in January, 31st January last year, he climbed and he stormed in together with his supporters into the presidential palace to take over from President Maduro. And now Maduro is camped in Caracas, all right? And he's saying, I'm not going to let go of power. And it has been one year that these two presidents have been saying, I'm the president, I'm the president, I'm the president, I'm the president. Right? One whole year. But here is the damage to the country. In one year, 35% of Venezuela are starving. In just that one year, they went to, if you know Venezuela is a rich country, there's Venezuelan oil and there's Venezuelan gold. They're a rich country. But in just one year, 35% of the country is in starvation. Five million Venezuela has fled the country because of malnutrition, because of political instability. So people are leaving the country. But here's worst of all. In, in January 2019, when you visit Venezuela, one Venezuelan dollar would buy you a cup of coffee today if you go into Venezuela, to get that same cup of coffee, you need $9,900. Hyperinflation. And that's why the whole country has gone into absolute chaos. Because they cannot decide who is in charge. And what's worse, they're selling off their gold reserve. And I told my wife, what happens if the gold reserve runs out? Because only, you only have 80 tons of gold left. What if it runs out? How do you feed the country? What if he goes into civil unrest? I don't need to say more because this is a scary situation that we must pray for our country. We must pray. So t- now I want to go into the book of Haggai. I only have half an hour left. So I'm going to go into the book of Haggai and I want to say, what is God saying to us in times such as these? What is God saying to the church? But most importantly, what is God saying to us personally? All right, because we are the church. So God has to move our hearts first before he moves the church. Is that okay? What is God saying to us? Now, I'm, I want to 
talk about the whole book of Haggai chapter 2. So in the beginning of chapter 2, which I did not cover in the verse, God is saying, be strong, Zerubbabel, be strong, Joshua, be strong, all you people of Israel. Do not fear, for I am with you. My spirit is with you and remains with you as I have covenanted with you when you have come out of Egypt. That is the first part. And I want to read the second part. It goes on to say, this is what the Lord Almighty, I didn't highlight it, but I want to, I want to point it out to you. Lord Almighty, again, Lord Almighty, again, Lord Almighty. The whole book of Haggai chapter 2 is Lord Almighty. In another translation, it's the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the heavenly armies, all right? So God is identifying Himself as the Lord of hosts in the book of Haggai. And the Lord of hosts says, in a little while, little while, all right? However you want to interpret the word little, I will. Now, this is not Haggai will. This is not Jerubabel. Zerubbabel will. This is not Joshua will. This is God will. God is speaking to the church. God will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations. Now, I want to draw your attention. The first part, I will sh once more shake the heavens and the earth. What is God saying? Heavens and the earth, sea and dry land represents everything all of creation. I will shake everything. And then it moves on. I will shake everyone. Pay close attention. I will shake everything. I want you to think about your money, your loved ones, uh, uh, your house, your car, whatever you, 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 you deem valuable to you, your, your Chanel bag, all right? I will shake everything. And then God says, I will shake everyone. And there is no exemption clause. Unfortunately for us, there's no exemption clause because all our hearts are deceitful above all else and God needs to shake it all out. So God is also shaking me. God is also shaking you. God is shaking the church. God will shake everyone, all nations, and God will shake everything. And then he moves on to say, the silver is mine. God declares, the gold is mine and the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And in this place, I will grant peace. Now, this place is not a country. This place is the temple. God is talking about the temple of God. He will grant peace. Let's move on. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the first slide, God introduced the first shakings in the book of Haggai. He says, I will shake you, section one. Section two, God says, you are defiled and everything you touch will be defiled. He moved on from shaking everything and everyone to suddenly saying that you are defiled, church, and everything you touch will be defiled. And he asked the priest, if any person is defiled by contact with a dead body, touches one of these things, does it become defiled? And the priest says, yes, it becomes defiled. So it is with these people and the nation in my sight. So it is with this church and the whole nation in my sight. We are defiled. Whatever we do and whatever we offer there is defiled. Wow, what interesting times. God is saying you shake the world and then suddenly you are defiled. What's the correlation? Third section. Then God says, now give careful thought. From this day on, consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. Now, God is talking about the fruit of our hand, the work of our hands. When anyone came to heap with 20 measures, there were only 10. When you think you've got 5,000, you only have two. When anyone went to a vine, wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. When you think you've got 10,000 ringgit, you only have four. God is saying, why? Oh, this is interesting. 
And this is the word of God, not my words. I struck, God struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail. And in the, in the Old Testament, when you see blight, mildew, and hail, God is talking about the shakings, all right? God is shaking us. Yet, you did not return to me. Remember when I read from the book of Joel? Even now, God is saying, church, return to me. It's a really, really, really interesting hint on why God is shaking us because He shakes us and then God says, yet you did not return to me. Wow. Let's move on. From this day on, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Church, from this day on, give careful thought when God is shaking your life because God shakes your life for one reason to return to Him. So if we haven't, God is calling us, give careful thought to your actions. Give careful thought. Is there any seed left in your barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. And the last part closes it off. But from that day on, I will bless you. He is still a good God. He's still a good father. God has still promised you he will bless you, but you've got to return to him. That's the third section. Then the last. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time. So this is the same day, a second time. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth again. He again, he's going to shake the heavens and the earth. This is the last section of the book. He's again going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will over, overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, their horses, their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. God is again saying, I will shake everything, and I will shake everyone. I will overturn, I will overthrow, and I will shake the heavens and the earth. And on that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. That ends the book of Haggai. Thank you, Jesus, for this time. Thank you, Father God, for the word of God. Lord Jesus, may you speak to us. It is a time where we know that you are speaking to us. May you open the ears of our hearts, open the ears of our minds, Holy Spirit, come and take hold in our hearts and convict us. Speak to us with a still, small voice, with a loving voice, the voice of grace and the voice of mercy. Speak to us, God, and show us what you're trying to say to us. Convict our hearts. Arrest our hearts. May we, from this day on, give careful thought to every action that we take. We give you permission, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I want to draw us our attention to a little timeline that I will refer to in one, part of my in, in one part of my sermon. You see, we're going to go into Ezra in three weeks' time. But in Ezra 3, Zerubbabel started building the foundation of the temple. It is the year 536 BCE, and the Lord pulled Zerubbabel out of the Persian Empire to come back into Jerusalem to build the temple of Jerusalem. But it has been, it, is, it was 16 years until Haggai chapter 2, when Zerubbabel resumed the temple construction, which means that there is a 16-year lag 
there is a 16-year gap from building the foundation to resuming and finishing the temple in 515 BCE. That is when Zerubbabel completed the temple. And I want you to take note of the, year, of the years 16, because that's a long time. Amen? And this is what the foundation of the temple looks like. Well, in today's context. So I want to give you a visual re representation. When Haggai spoke to the people, they most likely would have been standing on exactly this. This is the, the temple wall ruins. They would be standing on top of the ruins and go, how do we build this temple? It's all in ruins. The, the stones are charred. The, 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 the temple was burnt. And I, I read an article recently that in Australia, they asked people, after your homes were burned and some of your loved ones died, do you want to rebuild your home or do you want to relocate? Because if you, you relocate, the government will buy your land and give you another land somewhere else. So do you want to relocate or, 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 or build your homes? And, and, and Australians are conflicted uh, because some of them say, you know what, it's too painful to go back because I'm going back to a house that I can see is charred and I know my loved one died in the house. So I would rather move somewhere else. It's the same for us, uh, for, 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 for Israel in those times. They would have come back into the land where the temple was in ruins. And if you read Kings, you would know Zedekiah was taken away by Nebuchadnezzar. It's a sad story, read it, right? And they would have remembered, oh, my grandmother died here in the war. Oh, my grandmother's son died here in the war. He was burned to death or he was impaled to death in the war and the temple was in absolute ruins. And they would be asking themselves, do I want to rebuild this temple? Because it's painful. And God is asking you, sometimes you may have had a bad situation in your life. You may have been burnt down, hypothetically speaking, allegorically speaking. And you're asking yourself, and now God is asking you, you have to revisit the ruins. Will you rebuild amidst the pain? Because if you will, the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And God is encouraging you, no matter how painful it is to pray for your life, no matter how painful it is to intercede for your country, you always remember that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. So we will always rend our knees, rend our hearts, and we will pray. We will never give up. Amen, church? Okay, I want to go into my first point. Why must God shake us? Because I'm sure all of us are asking this question, why must God shake us? Am I not a good Christian? Did I not do well? Am I not coming to church? Am I not lifting my hands in worship? Why must God still shake me? Why? Three points. And the first point is this, God must shake us to expose. God will shake us to expose all the things in us that God does not see and God does not see fit and God is not pleased with, God will expose. And I want to use an analogy of this gold ore, all right? Because in the book of Haggai, God talks about the silver is mine and the gold is mine. So he talks about gold. He says, you got to bring gold back into the temple, right? Now, in order for you to get gold, besides the gold that, that the Persian Empire gave and returned to Jerusalem, you got to build more gold. you got to get more gold. Now, how do we get gold in those times? We've got modern techniques now. So you've got a tunnel, You've got to go into the mountains, you've got to tunnel and build a tunnel, and you've got to take your axe, and you've got to push it into the mountain, break open the mountain in order to get a raw gold ore. 
And the ore comes out that looks like in the picture, it comes out with, you can see a little bit of gold, but you can also see rocks. You can see more rocks than you can see gold, right? You can see more gravel and you can see more ore than you see gold. And these are the impurities that come with the gold ore. And God is saying, there is a mountain in your life. There is a mountain that you do not see because we're so deceitful, the heart is so deceitful above all else that you don't see, but God sees our hearts. God sees our foundation. God knows whether our foundation is in ruins or not in ruins. And God is saying, I need to crack open your mountain. I need to put my pickaxe into your mountain and it may hurt, it may be painful, they may be burning, but I've got to do it in order to extract the gold ore in you. I, in order for you to see that there is good in you, there is gold in you, you are precious to God. God wants to show you that you can be holy to God, that you can be a royal priesthood, but the process to get you there can be painful because God needs to shake the mountains of the nations. God needs to shake the mountains of our lives. God needs to shake us, to test us. Will we remain faithful in the first shakings? as painful as it may be, when the first testing come our way, would we still look to God and say, God, help me? Or the moment something difficult comes our way, we turn 180 degrees and we walk the other direction. And we say, God, you are not my God. And God is exposing that belief in our hearts. Whether it be our families, whether it be our work, whether it be our church, whether it be anything, God is exposing your core value Will you still hang on to God and love Him no matter what? Or will you walk away when God shakes? But I want to encourage you. I'm not here to rebuke you. I'm here to encourage you that in the book of Haggai, the word shake was used previously in the Old Testament and it was used twice to describe two situations. The first is in a book of Exodus when Moses entered Egypt to face Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And, and God says, Pharaoh will say, no, so I'm going to send 10 plagues. The 10 plagues was described as, I am going to shake Egypt. But why? Because the word shaking in one of the root words, it says, when I shake, I'm warring in the heavenlies. There is a war in the heavenlies. There's a war in the spiritual realms because the gods, small g, of Egypt wants to war against the god, big g, of Israel. And there's a war going on, so God needs to shake. But the encouragement is this. When you see shakings in the nations, when you see shakings in your life, God is fighting for you. He is not against you. He is not shaking you to say, to discourage you, to say you are a bad Christian, to say that you are the most sinful Christian. He is not shaking you to say you are, you're supposed to be guilty, you're supposed to be ashamed, you're supposed to feel condemned. No. He is reminding us in the book of Haggai that when God shakes, He is fighting for us. We just can't see it in our own physical eyes. He is fighting for us in the heavenlies. That is why in the book of Haggai, the Lord Almighty was mentioned so many times. Because the, the, uh, Haggai says, God says in Haggai, I will shake, says the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the heavenly armies. He's reminding us that the Lord of the heavenly armies, the angels of heavens, are fighting on our behalf. And what happens in the spiritual realm will always affect the physical realm. What happens in the spiritual realm will affect the physical realm in our lives. But we've got to take heart We've got to take heart and remember that God fights for us. 
That is why in the book of Haggai, before I read, it says, Do not fear, for I am with you. I am not shaking you to tell you that God has forsaken you. That is not the God I know. God is shaking us to remind us that He is with us. He is with us. Whatever we're going through, whatever we're going to pray for tonight, whatever we're going to pray for next week, God is with us. Don't be discouraged when you read. Whatever you read, when your, your, your phone buzz and buzz and buzz and all the messages come in and you read and you feel like your heart is sinking, you're getting more and more discouraged, don't be discouraged. Today, God is reminding us, lift up your eyes to heaven. Lift up your eyes to heaven because God is fighting for you. You can't see it, but God is fighting for you. He's winning the battle in the heavenlies because God has already won that battle on the cross. That's the first shaking. The second time it happens is when the Israelites won the battle against Egypt and they left Egypt and they went to Mount Sinai and they camped, remember? And Moses went up Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights and the presence of the Lord fell. And what did God say in the book of Exodus chapter 30? God shook the mountains. God shook. The mountain shook. The clouds descended and the whole mountain was on fire. Why did God shake the second time? God shakes to reveal who He is to us. Because sometimes we may forget. Don't you think? Sometimes when we are plagued with 12 years of sickness, we forget that He is the God who heals. And we get discouraged. Sometimes we are plagued with so many family problems for so long and we forget that God is the God who unites. God is the God who gives shalom and we forget. And every time God shakes us, it's not to discourage us, it's not to shame you, but to remind you of who He is in this world, in this nation, in this church, and in your life. You need to be reminded of who your God is in your life. You know, I, have, I, I was reminded of this great story. And I want you to tell the story, and you can put the pieces of the puzzle together. There's a lot of implied meaning. But I was reminded of the Tsar of Russia. Alexander I. Now this guy, if you remember, Napoleon was his enemy, and the French army led by Napoleon was about to invade Moscow to conquer Russia. And he was the Tsar at that time, to conquer Russia. But the backstory is, years before that, Napoleon and Alexander were best friends. They were allies. Napoleon allied with Alexander when he wanted to conquer Europe. And after he conquered Europe, he looked at his ally and says, nope, let me just attack you now instead. Sounds familiar? <laughs> Napoleon rushed into Moscow, and Alexander knew there was no chance to beat the army. He, he came with half a million French soldiers, and at that time, cavalry and, 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 and whatever. And he came in, and Alexander knew if God didn't intervene, he would have lost Russia. He went into the church, the holy church of Russia, the main church of Russia, and the head of Russia, the Tsar, bowed his knee before God, and he prayed the famous prayer, Almighty God. Now forgive the ancient English, all right? Almighty God is the cause for which we are battling, not just... Cast an eye of compassion on our holy church. Preserve to this people its courage and constancy. Suffer it to triumph over its adversary and thine. Best part, 
May it be in thy hands the instrument of his destruction and in delivering itself. Redeem the independence of nations and of kings. Let me translate in modern English. He understood that the destruction of Russia lied in the hands of God. Then he says, but it also, the deliverance of Russia also lie in your hands, God. Redeem the independence of nations and kings. And he bowed, his, he bowed his knee and he left the church and the Russian army left Moscow, if you know the story. And God answered his prayer and saved Russia. How did God answer? He sent the Russian winter. He sent a blaze and a blizzard into Moscow so that when Napoleon's army marched in with 500,000, they encountered a desolate Moscow, a blizzard on their hands, no food, no shelter. And just three months, he left Russia with 100,000 men. God took 400,000, and from that day onward, Russia was saved. Now, what is the story for? Can you imagine that the shakings of the world is to shake the head of states, to push them to a point where they have no choice but to say, God, the destruction of our nation, but also the deliverance of our nation lies in your hand. God Almighty, will you save us? Will you redeem the independence of nations and of kings? What if the shakings of the world is to wake up nations so that we realize the only way we can be saved is through God Almighty. Even the Tsar prayed it. You either kneel and humble yourself before God or you clench your fists towards heaven and say, my will be done. Or you kneel and say, your will be done. Which are we today? When God shakes us, He exposes our core value. But that's not it. God shakes us to also extract from us. Now, once He has shaken us, once He has exposed us, now God is shaking us to extract from us. Now, there is a second process in gold, okay? So now you have a gold ore, but now you don't have gold yet. It's still laced with a lot of rocks and gravel. Now, this is the second process. It's called gold panning. All right, so you take the gold ore, you put it into a pan, you put some water in it, and you shake. Now, this is a long process. That's why in modern terms, we don't do it anymore. We have other processes. We've got machines to do it for us, all right? Um, but in, back in those days, you've got to do it by hand. And sometimes it would take weeks just to get a few gold nuggets from an ore. So you have got to pan it. So the water would dissolve the gravel, would dissolve sand, would dissolve the rocks. And sooner or later, once it's all dissolved, you can start extracting the gold nuggets. You can start separating the gold from the gravel. And that's why it took Israel 16 years to build the temple. Because it took God 16 years to extract the good things out of the Israelites and to remove the impurities in the Israelites. It took God 16 years to speak to the church, to speak to the Jews. And God is saying, in your life, if you are fighting a battle for 15 years, it does not mean God has given up on you. It just means God is taking His time to extract from us 
to extract from us and to remove our impurities, to extract from us, will we still remain faithful into the church? Will we still pray? Will we still look to heaven and cry? Will we still rend our hearts and not our garments? Will we still bend our knees, even if we have to go through a trouble for 10 years, for five years, for two years, for two months? Will we still pray to God? And God is telling us He's extracting all your impurities. He's extracting your pride. He's extracting your lust. He's extracting your greed. He's extracting your selfishness, your love for comfort, your love for technology, your love for all the things of this world. He's extracting it and He says, come back to the core value of your life. May Jesus be the center of it all. And if Jesus is not the center, He will, he will take His time to extract from you. He will take His time so that we realize at the end of our lives, God, you really are the center. And I have been so wayward all these years, you really are the center. God shakes us to extract. And, but once God has taken out gold nuggets from you, once the gold, you can, you, can, you can taste and see the gold nuggets in your hand, God still says, there's still a 1% impurity within the gold nugget. It is not yet pure. And God is looking for purity. God is looking for holiness. God is looking for us to be set apart. He wants 100% purity. What is the last point? God shakes us to establish. God removes. God removes. But God also then replaces. He doesn't just remove. God shakes us to establish. What is the last process in gold mining? The last process is gold smelting. This is where you heat up your furnace to 2,000 degrees, you take your gold nugget, you put it in uh, the cup, and you burn that gold until the impurities clump together and surfaces, and you can remove that impurity, and what is left behind is pure gold. God is saying that even if there's 1% impurity in your life, God will still put us through the refining fire so that we will come out the other side pure as gold. Gold. Do not be discouraged, church, when you are going through shakings because God is making you pure as gold in your life. He wants you to be pure as gold, to be holy as He is holy. And in the last part, when God says in Haggai, I will once more shake everything and I will once more shake everyone. What's it? What is the brilliance? God is saying, oh, Zerubbabel, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. What is a signet ring, church? What is a signet ring? This is a signet ring, and we don't use it anymore. A signet ring, you may know in imperial dramas, right? A signet ring will carry a crest, whether it's a lion or an angel, and when you have an envelope, you put a wax, and then you, you stamp your crest. Ah, this envelope is really from Buckingham Palace, the Queen of England. And you open it, and you go, wow, this is really from the Queen. But in, back in those days, uh, and back in ancient Israel, there were also signet ring. And just so you know, in Israel today, the prime ministers and presidents also carry signet rings. It's just in their office. It's true. Read it up. Okay. Anyways, if you believe that ancient, the biblical Old Testament, you're not too sure. Can it be trusted? Can it not be trusted? I don't know. I want to assure you today, biblical archaeology will always prove the Bible. It will never disprove the Bible. That's in my opinion, all right? And I still believe it's true. This signet ring was excavated in the city of David not a few years ago. This signet ring belongs to a woman. It's 250,000, 200, 
2,500 to 600 years old, okay? Now, on the top, it bears the woman's name, something something, Bar Geel, all right? That's her name at the top. Then there's a line, all signal rings will have a line, and at the bottom, whose name is it? It's the name of a father. And this blue Jewish archaeology apart. Why? Because we always believe in the Bible, right? And I know people always ask me, is the Bible anti-women, right? It's always talking about women's slavery, women's supposed to be at home, women doesn't have a voice, women is women. This signet ring alone just disproved everything. This, it was found in a marketplace, which means that this woman, Bargeel, that was holding this ring was doing business on behalf of her father. We don't know what that business is, but she was doing business on behalf of the father. So when she spoke, she spoke on the authority of her father. That's why this ring is so important. But the next ring was also found in the city of David. It was excavated. And in, most importantly, the name on top says, Nathan or Melech. And at the bottom, it says, Servant of the King. And it is found in 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 11. When just that one small verse, it says, Here lies Nathan Melech, Servant of the King. Which king? At that time, it was King Josiah. It shows that scripture is true all the way back then and all the way to today. Every word is true. There is such a guy called Nathan Malak. There is such a king called King Josiah. And he wore the signet ring in the marketplace. And it, was only, it can only be imagined that he was probably going around doing, doing the duties of the king, doing the, uh, executing the administration of the king. And he was going around telling people what to do on the authority of the king because he had, no, he had no right. But when he carried the signet ring, he then had all right. What if God is shaking us so that we come out on the other side pure as gold? And then God is saying to each and every one of us and God is saying to this church, I will make you like my signet ring, which means your life is crafted out of pure gold and you are carrying the signet ring of God, and it's pure gold. And the insignia on the scripture ring, the top part says, your name. There's a line. And whose authority does this signet ring come from? Who put you through the fire? Who shook you? Who gave you victory? God Almighty. And what if God's name is at the bottom? And I want you to imagine, what if the signal ring of your life is Evante, son of El Elyon, Lindy Ong, daughter of El Shaddai, Kim Lian, daughter of Jehovah Jireh, Miranda Kwa, daughter of Jehovah Nisi, Isaac Ling, son of God Almighty, the Most High, and our lives is a signet ring. What if, what if we can just imagine that God is shaking this church so that this church at the end comes out as pure gold and it says, S-I-B-K-L, bridegroom of Christ. That whatever S-I-B-K-L speaks, we speak on behalf of God. Whatever you speak, you speak on the authority of God. When you pray for your family, you pray on the authority of God. When you pray for your workplace, you pray on the authority of God. When you pray for your children, you pray on the authority of God. When you pray for the nation and for this church, you pray on the authority of God. When you pray for your health, you pray for the, on the authority of God. When you pray for your work, you carry with you the authority of God because you are carrying that signet ring. 
you know, this sermon uh, um, is not easy for me to preach because when God shakes, He shook my life real good four, four months ago. It was not an easy time for me, but I'm here. You saw my son this morning. You know we both came out of the fire. Now, this is my son, just in case you're not aware. His name is Jedediah Ling. So he's Jedediah Ling. It means beloved of God, a second name for King Solomon, right? Jedediah Ling. Four months ago, before the coronavirus hit, before the influenza outbreak in Malaysia, um, he had high fever. His high fever went to 39 degrees. The highest point of his fever was 39.8. And if you're a parent, you know that it's way too high for an infant of one year. It's just way too high. So like every good parent, we would pump him with Panadol. We would, we would sponge him. I would sleep next to him. My wife and I would take rotations. She would sleep for three hours. Then I would sleep for three hours because he couldn't sleep. It Was it too hot? Was it too cold? And we would do everything. We had to you could feed him with water. You got to feed him with, with, with loose porridge. But no, 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 sometimes hard, uh, you know, uh, uh, dense porridge or loose porridge. Whatever everybody has advised us, we would do because, hey, we don't know what works because nothing is working. This fever is not coming down. No matter how much Panadol, then we have even got to calculate, you know, exactly the time to give him Panadol to bring that fever down. But after two days, the fever could not be dropped. And we, we started to get worried. So we sent him, we made an appointment in a, in a clinic, and we sent him to the clinic, and we walked in on a Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. We walked in, and our appointment was 10.30. The nurse says, you got to wait for half an hour. We says, no problem. We'll wait for as long as it takes, because our son is sick. And we sat down, 10.05. I know the exact time, because I set up a chat group my wife and my sister-in-laws and our family members, so that every time I record his temperature, I'll put it in the chat group. It's a log, so that when the doctor asks, how, how, how high is his temperature? When does he spike? What is it, what is it, what is, what, how long did he feed for? How much water did you give him? You know, what is the color of his stool? I know, it's all in the chat group, right? Uh, uh, so in the WhatsApp message, 10.05, we sat down, he says, we're here at the clinic, we're gonna let, update you as soon as we can. We sat down. And the moment we sat down, he was sitting on my wife's lap. The window was behind her. She was sitting down. He was on her lap. I was in front of her. And we looked at my son, and there was something wrong. All right? So he couldn't lift his head. So if you imagine a little one-year-old child, he couldn't lift his head. And I go, son, what's wrong? You couldn't lift your head. So I, I, I propped him up. And then I could see his eyes. He couldn't focus. He couldn't focus on you. So I said, son, you look at me. So I snapped. Look at me. Look at me. And he couldn't focus. And he, he, he just focused on the lights. He focused up on the ceiling. And I knew from that moment something was wrong. And then his mouth started moving, right? He, he started doing this. And his eyes couldn't focus. And he, he keeps dripping his head. And I said, there's something wrong, but I'm not a doctor. I've got no medical training. I don't know what is, I don't know exactly what was wrong. I don't know. I said, what God, what is, what is going on? I said, Kim, what's going on with him? And she says, I don't know, I don't know. Is he okay? Son, are you okay? I said, are you okay? I don't, we don't know. It went on for two to three minutes. I have a video recording because I'm like, I don't know if this is right or not. But of course, then we, 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 we brought him in to, to see the nurse. And the nurse took half a second to look at him to understand that he had febrile seizures. All right, so it's not epilepsy, it's febrile seizures. And she panicked. She brought him straight into the doctor's office, laid him on the doctor's chair, the long doctor's chair. I don't know if that's the official name. Forgive me, doctors, if I'm butchering the name of your chair. All right, it's a chair to me. Um, put, him, put, him, put him there. Uh, uh, lined him up, and the moment he fell on the chair, he started shaking. He started going into a fit. He started having seizures. And oh, you know, oh, that's a time where we panicked as parents. We, 
because I'm not medically trained. I don't know how serious it is. Neither do I know how not serious it is. All I know is it looked serious. Then in the next half, th- half a minute, he started defecating because he couldn't control his bowel movements anymore. So he started, he, 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 he wet himself, you know, he did the number two on the bed. And I go, I've never seen this in my entire life. And I started getting absolutely worried, absolutely concerned. And I started panicking and I don't panic that often. I started panicking and going, what is wrong? What is wrong? And then his blood pressure dropped. His oxygen level dropped. And the doctor says he may go unconscious very soon. And I knew something was very wrong when the doctor called the nurse and says, bring the resuscitation kit. Okay, I'm not medically trained, but I know what a resuscitation kit is. It resuscitates you. He brings you back from the dead, right? And I go, oh, this is wrong. And then she started saying to me and my wife, because we're helping the nurse clean him up. We're starting to, you know, clean up his butt, clean clean everything, hold him down, put medication, test his blood pressure. So then the doctor says, now I need both of you to stand aside. So now you got to imagine, now my wife and I was here. I was here. My wife is here. There's this bed. Now we're looking at the commotion. It's five minutes in. We're looking at the commotion. We're going, we don't know what's happening. I want you to bear in mind, he's our firstborn son. And my wife and I, we are in our mid to late 30s. We're not in our young 20s anymore. We don't have 15 more years to breed another six to seven more kids. This is, I don't know how many, sh- how many more kids God is going to give me, but this is my firstborn son. And, and th- he, may, he may be my only child until the day I see him again. And I remember feeling at that moment, I said to myself, wow, it doesn't matter how rich I am. It doesn't matter how poor I am. It doesn't matter how powerful I am. It doesn't matter how not powerful I am. It doesn't matter if I'm a CEO or a pastor or a rope sweeper. All I felt at that moment is I was powerless to change the situation. I couldn't do anything. What could you do? Powerless. Just like sometimes we feel in our lives, we are powerless to change the situation. And in that moment, all I remembered was to go and fall back on my training as a Christian and to pray. That's all I knew. And I held my wife's hand In her story, if she was here, she would say she held my hand. But I have the mic, so I held her hand. (laughs) Doesn't matter, right? We held each other's hand, and we started praying in tongues. That's all we know. And we started praying in tongues. And I remember we prayed, and it was like we, we fought a heavenly battle there and then. And then it clicked on me in the middle of the prayer that God says, do you remember the promise I gave to you for your firstborn son? In James, every good gift and every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. And all I could do is to claim the promise, pray in tongues. Claim the promise and says, God, every perfect good and good gift comes from the Father. This is a perfect and good gift and it comes from you. You gave it to me as a gift. And I also remember at that time, more scripture you know, the more scary it is sometimes. Come to the book of Job, but the Lord gives and take away. But the Lord gives and take away. But every good gift comes from the Father. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. But God gives and take away. Am I a walking job? No. It's true story, true story. And I, 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 look, you've got to wrestle with it. And I, I had so many flashbacks of my son. I remember, like I said, God, I, I only had one year to be a father. Is this it? I remember saying, is this it? Is this the last five minutes that I have with my son? 
after 15 minutes, I think they managed to stabilize him. And they gave him a diazepam, so he was, he was a bit groggy for the next few hours. And I remember when he was okay, I just took him into my arms and he flopped. He, was, he flopped. He, he couldn't hold his head up. He just flopped into my arms and I hold him. I remember having a 20-minute conversation with the doctor, but I don't remember what was the conversation. I, I, I just, I can't remember. I only remember asking her one thing. Is this, that, does this have permanent damage on him? in his brain, because I don't know, right? It's free breath seizures. Does it have permanent damage? Does it have permanent damage? Because then I was thinking, oh my goodness, if it has permanent damage, I may need to live with a son who is crippled for his entire life. But God, you said this is a good and perfect gift. This is a good and perfect gift. And then I was reminded, but this is good and perfect in my standards. This is what I think good and perfect is. This may not be what God's standard of what good and perfect is for us. We don't know. Only God knows. So I said, I remember saying, is this it? Is this what, what's going to happen next? And, and, and the nurse, and I remember the doctor saying, it's okay because this is a febrile seizure. She tested him on the spot. She said, you can't bring his temperature down because he had influenza A. So you got to give him Tamiflu for a week. So we said, okay, praise God, we know what it is. So we went home that, that day. And I remember that night, I went into my room. Is it okay you give me another five minutes? We went into my room. I went into my room. My wife was looking after him, so he sleeps in a different room. So she took the first shift. I remember saying, God, I, I, I don't know why this happened because this is a real shaking to our lives. And I remember asking God, and I'm just as human as you are. Right now, I'm going to shed my pastor title. I'm no longer Pastor Isaac, I'm just Isaac, just like you. And I asked God, God, I, did I not serve you full time? Am I not a good enough pastor? Did I not love your people? Did I not try my best? Did I not give up four out of seven nights a week to be in church, to minister, to be with your people? Did I not visit people at the hospital? Did I not prepare sermons? Did I not study theology? Did I not read at least 10 academic books a week? Did I not, am I not doing good enough? Then I moved on from work to am I not a good enough husband? Am I not a good enough father? Did I not check his temperature enough? Did I not give him Panadol enough? Maybe I didn't stay home enough. Maybe I've got to work less, stay home more. Maybe I've got to look after him more. I went through an absolute turmoil as I'm sure you would have in your moment of crisis. I'm sure you would have. And I remembered, I said, God, I need the loving hands of the Father right now. I need you to open both hands. And I always tell my people I pray for, God is opening both hands with you. He's embracing you. He's loving you. And I says, God, that is what I need. I'm praying for myself. I need the, both arms of the Father. Open it up wide for me. And I want to fall into your arms. And I want to know. And I want you to tell me that everything is going to be okay. That I still love you. I have everything under control. You hold you with the right, uh, palm of my right hand. And I quoted every scripture that I know. Jeremiah, Isaiah, everything that I know. I just quoted it. And God, I remember God saying, no. And he rebuked me. He says, who are you to ask me these questions? Who are you to ask me these questions? Who are you? Just because you were a good Christian, good father, good pastor, that I don't shake you, I will still shake you. And I say, why? Why? Why put me through this? And God asked me one question that made me cry all night and fall to my knees. He asked me, if if I took your son that morning, will you still love me? If I took your son that morning, will you still 
love me. God is asking us, if God shakes the nation, God shakes the church, God shakes your life, will you still love Him? Am I not a good God, Isaac? And God reminded me, I don't, I don't have to take your son because I've sent my son to be crushed for your iniquities. I've sent my son to be sifted by your community. And I've sent my son to be established in his authority so that when I crush you, I don't have to crush you to the point of death. When I sift you, I don't have to sift you to the point of death. But when I establish you pure as gold, carrying the signet ring of God, I can establish you like you are a co-heir with my son, Jesus Christ. I can establish you with the same authority and power I gave my son. I now give to you and you will come out through the refining fire stronger than before. Your faith is firmer than before. You stand on the solid rock there is Christ Jesus so that when the rain falls, you know that your house will not be washed away because it is built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And then God is saying to you, church, today, from that day on, I will bless you. I will give you shalom. I will bless you when you come out of the fire. Church, God is reminding us when He shakes us, it is not for our bad, but for our good. Will we bow our knees to God today and worship Him with everything that we have and surrender all our shakings into His hand? and all our crisis into His hand, into the hand of God and says, God, oh, I'm going to trust in You. I'm going to bend my knee and I'm going to raise my hands to worship You this morning. Even if it is only for two more minutes or three more minutes, I'm still going to worship You and I'm going to sing and roar so that the roar of heaven can hear the roar of my heart. And I'm going to raise my hands in worship and I'm going to say, God, You are still my King. You are still my God. You are still my Father. I still trust in You. I will still put my life in You and I will finish my race and I will fight the good fight until I see you again. Church, can we rise to our, to our feet? And we're going to worship Him. We're going to give Him the next five minutes of our lives. Not just this morning, but also when you come tonight. We're going to give Him all that we have in praise and worship. Amen, church? Amen, church? Thank you, Jesus. The Second Chronicles chapter 20. Verse 9 says, If calamity comes, whether it will be the sword of judgment or the plague or the famine, what do we do? It says we stand in the temple, in the presence of the Lord, in the place that bears your name. Where else? The house of God. And then we will cry to you in our distress. And he says that he will then hear us and then he will come and deliver us. In times like this,
we turn to the Lord. Amen. Don't lose heart, friend. Don't lose heart. We don't understand, but God is in control. Amen. What's most important to the Lord is that there must be peace and stability in the country. There must be peace and stability in the country. There are bigger battles to fight, like the economy, like the virus. And I think in God's sovereignty, all right, let's look to the Lord. He knows best. So the worst thing we can do is to give up and lose heart. That's what the devil wants us to do. Amen? Don't do that. Turn to God. God is in control. God is in control. Hallelujah. Come on, let's trust the Lord. Shall we do that? Let's stretch our hands to Him. He is in control, my friend. He is not out of control. Turn to the Lord. He has never failed us and He will never will fail us. Amen. He's a good God and He wants the best for our nation. He wants the best for you and for me. Hallelujah. In times like this, you look to the Lord, understand? We turn to the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, we look to you, Lord. You love Malaysia. You love this country. And this country will fulfill our prophetic destiny in global history. And you will not allow any evil people to destroy it. But you will save us. Father, we, we look to you, Lord. When we don't know what to do, our eyes are upon you. When we don't know what to do, our eyes are upon you. So Father, this day, together with all the churches in this nation, we come and worship you and look to you and believe, oh God, you have the best interest of our country in your heart. And we will trust you. Whatever happens, God, you know best. You know best. So in moments like this, Lord, we will not give up. On the other hand, we turn to Jesus. You are still the King of kings and Lord of lords, Lord. You are the centre of it all. So thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for your encouragement. We will continue to have faith. We will continue to trust in you, Lord. And in the coming weeks and coming days, you will work out all things for good, Lord. For good. You are a good God to them who love you and to those who are called according to your purpose. So separate us now with your blessing. Bring us safely home, Father Lord. I'm going to ask Pastor Isaac closest in prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God. Church, now this we know, that God gives victory to His anointed. He answers Him from His heavenly sanctuaries with the victorious power of His right hand. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Lord, thank you, Jesus. Father God, hear us when we cry. 
give victory to your church. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We lift you up, we praise you. And Lord God, we go out from this sanctuary encouraged and lifted up and ready to look to you to solve our problems, to look to you to search the will and the heart of God. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.